Amen. You may be seated. Turning your Bibles to the book of Revelation, first to chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 8 through 14, and then turning to chapter 7 and reading verses 9 through 17. So two sections, the book of Revelation, beginning in chapter 5 and verse 8. It's here now, God's word. Revelation 5, beginning with verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests and to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing." And honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Chapter 7, beginning with verse 9. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne. Before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. 
and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. May God bless this reading of his holy word. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for such a glorious picture as we have in these two passages of what we will enjoy one day, perhaps very soon. We ask that you would bless these words, that you would use them to teach us, to help us, to instruct us, to enable us to live lives that will glorify you. And Father, we pray that you will cause our own souls to rejoice greatly in the God of our salvation, just as these creatures in heaven do. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now this evening we come to our final message of four on the subject of heaven. Now obviously we've Barely scratch the surface, if you will. There's so much more that we could say. But hopefully, the messages that you have heard and will hear tonight will whet your appetite. And I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, read Samuel Rutherford. I don't know of another writer who speaks more of the glories of heaven and the joys that we can expect to find there. Read Thomas Brooks, Heaven on Earth. Read Jonathan Edwards, Heaven, a World of Love. As you read all of these individuals, you're going to fill your heart, you're going to fill your mind with the glories of the world that is yet to come. And above all, read the book of Revelation. It has a lot to say about heaven. One of the very interesting passages often read or quoted in funeral services are the words of Revelation 14, 13, when we hear, blessed are those who die in the Lord. They shall rest from their labors and their works follow them. Now for many, those words are of great comfort, especially if they are those that have suffered long in this world with pain and sorrow and difficulty. Rest from pain, relief from struggles with sin, the removal of all trials and tribulations in this life, that will be a welcome change. There could be no question about that. The question is, is that all we're going to do? Is that the nature of heaven that we're going to rest there? We will rest there. But my friends, eternity is a long time to sit around relaxing on the shore especially since there's not going to be any sea to go with it. But the point is we're going to do more than just rest from the difficulties we have encountered. 
And the two passages that we have read and will consider this evening highlight for us several other activities that we will be engaged in when we get to heaven. The first is we shall enjoy worship like you have never experienced before. Secondly, we shall enjoy serving God in a way that you have never experienced before. And third, we're going to enjoy fellowship with one another, with fellow believers, with the host of heaven, with the cherubim and seraphim, with the saints of old. And we're going to enjoy that fellowship in a way that you have never ever experienced before. Well, let's look first of all at worship. We shall enjoy worship like we have never experienced before. Now, if you look back to the previous chapter, to chapter 4, we get this initial picture. In other words, throughout the book of Revelation, what we have are the, the curtains being pulled back briefly so that we can look in and see what's going on in the heavenly realm. Doesn't happen often in scripture, but it does on occasion. Revelation 4, we see this clear picture of what worship is, especially in verse 10. The 24 elders fall down before him. That speaks of their submission to the Lord. And then we are told that after they fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, they cast their crowns before him, which speaks of their consecration. Everything they have, their dearest possession, they give to the Lord. It's for you. It's for your glory. And then in verse 11, we read them, exclaiming, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. That is their adoration. As they ascribe all glory and honor and wisdom and power and blessing to the God who sits on the throne, they are adoring him. Then, in chapter 5, we have an even more glorious scene when the Lamb enters into the picture. When the Lamb comes and, and approaches the throne and Him who sits upon the throne, God the Father, and the Lamb, God the Son, comes and approaches them. And then we have the same falling down and the same prayers being lifted up like incense before the throne and the songs of praises. Brethren, these words can be very instructive to us as we think about our own worship of God, both publicly and in private. As we go before God, how do we regard him? How do we treat him? These words should instruct us on what worship should be like, because this is what worship in heaven is like. 
down through the ages, there have been a variety of situations or circumstances that have just stirred the people of God, that have thrilled their soul in such a way that, that it elicits from them songs of praises and great joy and exaltation of God. I just stop and think for a minute of what some of those most stirring examples of God's power and glory might be. I'm sure you could think of quite a few. But one of them is certainly God's parting of the Red Sea and delivering his people from the Egyptians, drowning them in the same sea that they walked across on dry land. Listen to the song of Moses after that event. Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength. He is my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. This is just a a, a brief portion of this great song of praise. Because God delivered his people out of the hands of the Egyptians. Another situation that I thought of is David when he brings the ark back to Jerusalem. After it's been separated from the people of God and from their public worship for a long time, David restores it into Jerusalem. We read in 1 Chronicles 16 and verse 7, On that day David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. And we see this time and time again throughout the scriptures, this song and in the Psalms. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore since the joy the the delight in God the reveling in what God has done and what God has accomplished we have the birth of Jesus here in obscure town in in Israel the son of God takes on human flesh And remember what the shepherds see. There was there with them a host of heavenly beings crying out glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. All of these are wondrous scenes. They are stirring scenes. And perhaps when you think about this scene In the book of Revelation, it is even greater 
than anything else we see. Here are all the elders and all the the creatures of heaven, all the heavenly beings gathering together, singing the praises of God, rejoicing in him. And what is it that fills these creatures with heaven and with joy? It is the work of redemption. It is the work of our salvation through the grace of Christ. You have redeemed a people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. This is no longer about just the Jews. This is no longer about a small number of people in a select portion of the world. Now... God has spread his glory and his grace to all nations, to people of every tribe and tongue and nation. All of them are being brought into this work of salvation. My friends, perhaps you personally have tasted an extraordinary time of fellowship and worship with God. Perhaps God has ministered to your soul in a particular way. Perhaps in the privacy of your own home, you have tasted the sweetness of the Spirit's presence in an extraordinary way. But I feel very confident that I can say you've never experienced anything like what we've read in Revelation 5 and Revelation 7. Here, my friends, the Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. The psalmist describes something of this in Psalm 29 when he when he's, speaks addressing the, the inhabitants of heaven. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Worship him in the beauty of holiness. And then he describes the majesty and the power and the work of God. And he says, everyone in the temple says, glory. God is the one whom they worship and no one else. And the lamb here is all the glory. Everyone in the temple is saying glory. Glory be to him who sits upon the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Have you ever experienced that time When you simply could not contain songs of praises to God. When your mouth was just filled with the extolling of the name of Jesus. When you perhaps were physically prostrating yourself before God. Falling down like these elders. Because you are possessed with deepest reverence. And all. My friends, that's the picture that we have here. 
And one day, one day we are going to worship the Lord without even a trace of sin. One day we are going to worship him with all our hearts. Our hearts will no longer, never again, will they be cold or unfeeling in the presence of the Lord. One day we're going to worship him and never again will we stay home because we didn't feel like going to worship. Never again are we going to be distracted by problems at work or within our families. We're never again going to be distracted from our gaze upon the glory of the Lamb. And never again will our physical bodies be tired or inattentive to the work of the Lamb. We're going to one day worship in a way we've never experienced. We're going to join with this innumerable host of heavenly beings and we're going to say the Lamb is worthy of glory and honor and power and wisdom and strength and blessing and riches. Everyone is going to say glory, glory to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Well, that's the first thing. We're going to enjoy this kind of worship. But then secondly, we're going to enjoy serving the Lord in a way that we have never experienced before. Now, if you look at Revelation 7, Revelation 7, we have a very similar picture. Countless number of redeemed souls, angels, elders, heavenly beings, exalting and praising God and the Lamb. They are singing his praises. Verse 10 and following, salvation belongs to the Lord our God. They fall down, they worship him. And this great multitude has been blessed exceedingly in that they have washed their robes In the blood of the lamb, they've been made white as snow. Definitely brings forward that idea from the prophet Isaiah that though your sins be red like crimson, they shall become white as snow. These people have been forgiven of their sins and they're rejoicing and reveling in the grace of God to them. But it's the additional things, the additional details that we have in verse 15 that I want to focus on for just a couple of moments. Number one, they are before the throne of God. And number two, they serve him day and night. So not only are we going to be worshiping God, We're going to be serving him. Now, the two things that are mentioned here, they are before the throne of God. The preposition that he uses here 
is literally means to be in the presence of or to be in front of. The point is this, my friends. We are not going to behold God at a distance. It's not like we're going to see him in, in a long way off. The point that he's making here is that we are going to be near him. We are going to be close to him. Now, how can an innumerable number of, of beings all be close to God or to Christ? I have no idea. But I believe what the word says. That we are going to be before the throne. We're going to be right there. We're going to be close. We're going to be able to commune with him. He is going to be near to us. I still remember. It was either my first or second banner conference. In either 1989 or 1990. And I was absolutely awed by this fabulous speaker and he was preaching and I was mesmerized and I I loved the content and I loved the expressiveness of it all his name just happened to be Jeff Thomas and as I I listened to this man I thought oh it would be so nice if I could get close to him after the service and talk with him but of course as soon as the service was over all the important people formed a a crowd around him and everybody was talking to him and I I waited and I waited and I waited and I I finally gave up and started walking back to my dorm room I heard a noise behind me and I turned around And there was this tall Welshman that said, Hi there, my name is Jeff Thomas. Who are you? (laughs) And we sat for two hours and talked and prayed together. Now, my friends, the, the way that we might be wanting to meet with a special speaker and we can't because they're surrounded by others, my friends, that is never going to happen. Those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb are going to be before the throne of God. This precious promise of God in Revelation 21.3 that God will dwell with them. And we will be his people. And he will be with us. We're going to be near to him. Secondly, they serve him day and night. We're not just going to be sitting around, relaxing, doing nothing. We're going to be serving the Lord. Constantly, day and night. Now we have to be careful here because the scriptures tell us absolutely nothing 
about what kind of service we are going to give. We do not know the ways. We cannot understand the ways. But what we can say is this. And again, this particular word that he uses, they will serve him day and night, is not your usual word throughout the the Pauline epistles that we have for serving Christ. This kind of service is very specific. It is only used of religious service. So when Jesus answers the temptation of Satan, when Satan says, I want you to fall down and worship me, Jesus says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. In Hebrews 9 and verse 9, it's used of the priest offering sacrifices to God. And then again in Revelation 22 and verse 3, it says that his servants will serve him. Exactly what that service is going to be, we cannot say. But whatever it will be, it will be done with delight and zeal to the glory of God. I mentioned a couple of individuals this morning. Another that I would like to bring to your attention was a Presbyterian minister in the Free Church of Scotland in the 1900s. His name was Kenneth McRae. He served the Lord in one of the largest Presbyterian churches in the world for 33 years. And listen to what he says. I have been long in his service, the Lord's service, here. But I never tired of it. All my grief was that it was so poor, so listless, so forgetful, and so lacking in holiness. But soon I shall serve him with a perfect service without failure or flaw and that will be heaven indeed my friends one day we are going to serve him we're going to be near him and we're going to serve him without ceasing in the glories of heaven well lastly we're going to enjoy fellowship like we've never experienced before As I mentioned this morning, this particular element may not be the most prominent theme in the biblical pictures of heaven, especially the ones that we have considered. But it is, brothers and sisters, part of the overall picture. And when we think of heaven, we have every right to think of it in this way. It may not be a spiritual element that is beyond our ability to comprehend like so many other things that we're going to encounter into heaven. But the blessing, being more sensible to us about fellowship with one another and more readily understood by our limited comprehension, this is something for us to consider. Now notice Revelation 7 
and verse 9. That it mentions a great multitude which no one could number. In other words, it's so many people, you can't even count them. But this is not some nameless horde of people. These are saints that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. These are people that have been known by God from before the time he formed them in their womb. They have been chosen by God before time began. And they have now passed into glory. And they are gathered together, worshiping and serving the Lord. Scripture teaches that the saints in heaven maintain their identity, even their names and their personalities. Two passages that I want to consider. One is Matthew chapter 8. We mentioned this morning Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11 when Jesus says, I say to you, many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. When we get to heaven, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to be there. They are alive right now, and they are the same people today that they were thousands of years ago. They've passed into glory, but they're still there. We're going to know one another in heaven. We are going to be reunited with loved ones who have died in the Lord. We are going to enjoy fellowship with them. Now, my friends, I don't think I need to emphasize to you how thankful you and I can be for the fellowship God has given us in this congregation for the love that we share one for another, for the interest and the care and, and, and all that we do together. A lot of people, a lot of Christians in this world do not have that. And we need to be thankful to God for it. But my friends, the fellowship that we are going to enjoy in heaven is going to be unlike anything you've ever seen here on earth. Not only are we going to see and know one another, but our fellowship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with our loved ones, with other believers from other parts of the world, is going to be sweet, it's going to be spiritual, and it's going to be perfect. That means that in heaven, no one is going to feel left out or excluded. Have you ever felt that way? 
Sometimes we do. We don't seem to fit into the group. And we feel excluded. We, we feel left out. That will never happen. No one, no one is ever going to be offended by something you say or something you do. Has that ever happened to you? I'm sure it has. We give offense and we take offense, but that's not going to happen in heaven. One of the most, I guess, I can't say most sad, but one of the saddest things that happens is when you're really enjoying fellowship. And someone says, you know, this is great, but I got to go to work tomorrow. I got to get the, home, the kids home and in bed. I've got to, to do this. We're, we're going to have to stop tonight. My friends, our fellowship in heaven will never be broken. There will never be a forced parting in heaven. In heaven, that fellowship will never be marred by a disagreement. We're not going to be hungry. We're not going to be thirsty. We're not going to be in pain. We're not going to know tears because the lamb is going to shepherd us. That's what our fellowship in heaven will be like. One more quick passage, Matthew chapter 17. You're familiar with this, the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus goes up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And as he is there in verse 2, he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to him. And we're talking with him. Now what's interesting here is the disciples, Peter, James, and John, recognized them. How? <laughs> no idea. This is one of those things the scripture does not make known. But they recognized them. Peter says, it's good for us to be here. Why don't we build three, three tabernacles? One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. How did they know who they were? Moses and Elijah had departed, in the case of Moses, over a thousand years before. But he was right there. And you know what? He was still Moses. And Elijah was still Elijah. So they were there. They knew who Jesus was. They carried on a conversation with him. And they had knowledge of what was about to happen to him. This gives us a brief picture of our fellowship in heaven. So, when you think of heaven, what do you think about? Well, hopefully, after these messages, you might be thinking about the Father's house, a place Jesus has gone to prepare for us so that we might be with him. You might be thinking about that 
house not made with hands that when this earthly tent is, is destroyed, we have a building not made with hands, made by God. And when we're absent from our bodies, we're going to be present with the Lord. As we saw this morning from Philippians 1 and Paul's desire to depart and be with Christ, we are going to be with him. We're going to see him as he is. We're going to be made like him. And we're going to engage in perfect worship, service, and fellowship with Christ and with one another. Martin Lloyd-Jones is the name most of us will recognize. Enjoyed a long and profitable ministry in which God used him greatly for over three decades. When he became sick near the end of his life, he called his family in. And he said, don't pray for healing. Don't hold me back from glory any longer. My friends, I trust this gives you some sense of the joy that awaits us, the glory that we will be enjoying in heaven. Let's close with those words from Revelation 22. The Spirit says, come. The bride says, come. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, how can we even begin to comprehend the glories you have reserved in heaven for us? Help us to learn not to go beyond what is written, to stay with the word, to study your word, to glory in your promises, and to long for that blessed day when our Lord will come. And so we shall forever be with the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.